the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. This podcast is basically a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan, being me, and the man himself, being Adam Terrell. (laughs) Buyakasha. Oh my days. Okay, well, we have a very special guest today. Um, So not just one... East Asian film distributor, but we have two. And, you know, you might not know the name, but you definitely will know his work. So we have Mr. Joey Lung from Terracotta Distribution in the house. Hello, hey, sir. guys. How's it going? <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being here. How are you doing? All good, thanks. All good. You know, played six hours of football. My leg really hurts. My back's killing me. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> really heat. Other than that, I'm fine. We've got another one. That's exactly what Adam does every time we record. I think, it, I think he's just taking piss of me out, of me, out of me, actually, because uh, have you been playing football recently? No. Uh, I'm, I'm playing tonight. I'm playing tonight. It's 38 degrees right now, but I'm playing tonight. It's only like five inside, though, so I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Joey, you're in London, right? I'm in London, yeah, northeast London. Yeah, so I'm in Cambridge, and obviously I, I spoke to Adam last month, and I was sort of like, God, it's hot this summer. And he was like, what are you talking about? It's like 39 degrees here. You guys have got nothing. But yeah, we've caught up with them now, eh? Yeah, exactly. It's going to hit 40 soon. Yeah. I just, and I've moved I to the countryside where it's actually really cool. So um, we're, we've completely re- reversed. We're actually recording this. My room has no windows. This room that I'm in, a box room. So temperature's rising. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the same, actually. Although I've got a fan on me at the moment. I probably should turn that off for the microphone. I don't know. But yeah, so obviously Terracotta Distribution, you guys are like basically a distributor of like the best in classic, contemporary, uh, cult East Asian cinema, right? Mm-hmm. Everything from Korean dramas to classic Kung Fu films to Japanese horror to Hong Kong action to manga and anime, all, all sorts, basically the length and breadth. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. We, <laughs> we tried not to specialize and part of it was just picking films we loved. And yeah. part of it was trying to find a formula that worked <laughs> to see what do actually people like. So we just kind of did a scattergun approach and said, let's cover all the bases, you know. So I love it because, like, yeah, well, obviously, um, when I started talking to Adam, I sort of asked him how Third Window Films came about. And you came up quite a lot because you guys almost came up together, right? And I think at the beginning, you, you didn't actually start on, like, the friend list of grounds. <laughs> I didn't tell you already. <laughs> I think, well, I mean, you know, just bits and bobs, but I don't know if you're comfortable sharing the whole story, but it's a pretty cool uh, kind of introduction to how you guys know each other. Yeah, so I was at a place, you probably know the label Taisang. Taisang's quite a legendary US label for people into Asian movies. You'd get, like, Taisang VHSs and Taisang, DVDs back in the day in the US of like Ricky O and Donnie Yen and you know stuff that now is being re-released and packaged at really high price points and that was just bread and butter stuff for Asian people growing up in um, the Asian diaspora outside of Hong Kong we mm. just watch Asian TV Asian films Asian movies and it'd be just part and parcel of that and then I guess Westerners started clocking onto Tai Seng as well and getting some of the sort of Seng DVDs because they love the action right Wow. Um, and then so Tai Seng set up a UK branch um, and I was working there and one day got an email from a Mr. Adam Torrell, pretty, pretty irate <laughs> from this company I'd never heard of and saying, 
why are you releasing these films? They're my films. I've got rights to these. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. And I got really scared. I thought, oh, no, what's happened here? Because, you know, whenever you get a legal letter, right, or you get a red letter through the post, you immediately, your heart goes up, and you think, what have I done? Am I going to go to jail? So then um, I messaged him back saying, well, what do you mean? And then I talked to our team in the US as well and looked through all the contracts and met up with him and had a chat and realized actually the people selling had been double dipping. So one set of people sold the rights to some certain films, like Korean films, those sort of new wave films back then, to Adam. And another set of people sold them to me. So maybe something like the producer dealt with one person and the sales agents dealt with another person. But I think both parties did it without knowing each other had sold the film (laughs) to the UK. So it was a little bit of a a mix-up somewhere along the line. Um, And then we just got talking over coffee and found a mutual interest in films and... You know, and football. And football. Well, I wasn't <laughs> so much into football back then, but I am also now, for sure, uh, thanks to Adam, actually. Um, and, yeah, just like kept in touch ever since and become mates. It's so cool. <laughs> it was yeah. a quiet family, wasn't it? Uh, the, it was uh, quite, I was going to say exactly that. It was uh, Kim Ji-won, quiet family, plus then a load of other films. There was one called Blue something, you know, the, the naval one. Ah, yeah, something like that. But to be honest, you know, I was a massive fan of Tai Seng when I was like a, a teenager living in the States because that was the only way to see so many different great Asian films. Obviously, it was yeah, during uh, the VHS generation and then onto like VCD and DVD. But like they always had a bit of a dodgy reputation. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, I think a lot of sort of Asian companies doing working overseas at the time had a similar dodgy reputation. But Tai Seng were quite well known as like, you never knew how legal a lot of the the tapes were. It was sort of quite borderline between bootleg and and and, and le- legal. And uh, that was the first thing that jumped to my mind. Like, oh, Tyson, it's got to be like they've got to. It's going to be like dodgy somewhere or another. So I, I just immediately, you know, it's Tyson. Therefore, you guys are not haven't properly bought the rights, and I probably bought the rights, and and blah I have blah no blah. And, uh... on that matter. <laughs> yeah, are they still around? Yeah, I think so. In some guys or another, maybe they've got like an OTT platform, but they also did cool stuff like take Hong Kong TV series and just cut out the rubbish bits and just put all the fight scenes together to make a 90-minute film out of it. And it was really cool. They'd have like the Donnie Yen version of Fist of Fury, which is like a 20-episode like TV show with all this backstory, how he moved to Shanghai and all this stuff. Cut all that out, just go straight to the fights and have this like 90-minute version instead. It's brilliant. Incredible. Because, I mean, yeah, like for looking back at your back catalogue, you've got so much of those classic kung fu and martial arts films. So that's obviously a massive, massive passion of yours. Was, those, was that the initial thing to get you into it that made you want to get those out? Um, no, it wasn't, actually. It was um, Hansel and Gretel was our very first film. It was just, there wasn't oh. one initial film, but I just think Hansel and Gretel was a great one to lead on because inherently from the title, there's a built-in sort of awareness and easy sell with the name Hansel and Gretel and fables, folk horror, myths, you know, that, that sort of stuff is always going to be, you know, Brothers Grimm stuff is always going to sell well, right? Um, so, we, yeah, we started with that. And I guess, like, again, just saying what I said before, as a sort of Asian person growing up in the UK, mm. there's not very many chances to watch this sort of stuff. So you just rely on parents and cousins and uncles passing you, like, fifth-generation copied VHSs to, to watch stuff. Do you remember the, the tab? You used to break the tab and put a bit of solid tape on top of the tab thing just so you could record stuff. So, yeah, we, there's a lot of that going on. And get to see stuff like Police Story, Wheels on Meals and all that stuff growing up just became part and parcel of my life. And I'd recommend it to mates and people were like, whoa, this is incredible. And I guess that's just extended into my 
sort of hobby in my adult life now and now nice. trying to make a business out of it so yeah amazing because i mean just those two you mentioned there you did police story and you released wheels on meals didn't you i uh, know it wasn't me actually so i can't claim credit for that so since the lockdown we uh transformed terracotta from being its own label to being mm-hmm. a retail store right almost like trying to be the i guess that the amazon for want of a better term the amazon for asian movies so you'd come and you'd buy films from all the labels right so you can get 88 films you get Adam's third window stuff. You get Eureka, which is where Police Story Wheels on Meals are. Gotcha. Uh, Arrow Criterion. So all the labels. So you'd have to go to each individual label's website and check out and pay multiple loads of shipping, right? All in one place. <laughs> Amazing. Because yeah, and you do the streaming service as well now, don't you? Started to, yeah. So it's very, very early days on the streaming service, and um, we're going to start building that back up to um, offer a subscription as well. So right now it's a pay per view service. And I think there's going to be some demand there for people saying that I'll, I'll watch more than two or three films a month. I want to have a subscription service as well. Yeah, that's coming down, that. down the pipeline. Very cool indeed. Thanks. Well, yeah, no, I just I can't believe we're actually speaking because obviously this whole like I've been speaking to Adam for over a year now, and he talks about you as this like mythic figure that what? I know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But... <laughs> Well, because you're not, you're, okay, I'll put it a different way. So you're not really on social media. I know um, you've got a kind of team that does your That's social probably media. probably where we're failing, isn't it? <laughs> well, there's just, uh, I guess what I'm trying to say, Adam is super accessible. You can just message him and he'll come back to you within the hour normally, unless he's sleeping or with his kid. Um, and yeah, so I guess uh, you're the other side of things where you try to keep away from all that and you do your thing and you've got your other success anyway. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect when uh, you were coming in today. But yeah, straight away, you're like this super affable, really nice, cool, easygoing oh, guy. Nice I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> I'll say the same thing about you too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you, I mean, you can't escape me online. I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> I guess, okay, so can you tell us how, um, yeah, how, how it all started? What was the... Um, what was the get up and go for you from the very beginning? Um, prior to starting this, <clears throat> I think similar to Adam, if you know Adam's sort of backstory, he was at Tartan, right? Yeah. Um, and he's a massive film buff. I kind of know a bit about films. I'm not a film buff. I wouldn't describe myself as a cinephile or a movie geek. And I'd worked in some studios like Universal, Disney, Sony, and you'd see Asian films being released, but without any sort of focus or effort, mm. right? And there'll be like massive films in Asia, like Stephen Chow's type movies, right? But there'll be yeah. very little focus on them in the release plans, which you can't really blame them for because the amount of effort and time you spend doing marketing materials and talking about Casino Royale, you might as well spend that, or versus, I don't know, CJ7 or something, you might as well spend the time on Casino Royale because you get more bank for buck than you return, right? So there's all these like catalogs. And then, of course, Sony Pictures Classics, for example, had a, a production arm in, the, in, in Asia. They'd have all the products, and just by default, they just sling the product over to Sony UK. And Sony UK wouldn't know what to do with it. They'd just like chuck it on Amazon. Back then, Amazon was just starting to grow. Um, and, you know, might be in the world cinema section of some HMVs, which are big enough to have an HMV, like world cinema shelf. Um, and then most of them would just end up in like CEX or something, right? <laughs> so then I was thinking, well, it's not, this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so many more films coming out of Asia being made, new films being made let alone the back catalogue of films that people haven't really released yet. You know, all the Chowing Fat, Better Tomorrow, all that stuff. So then I, I, I thought about how do we do it? How do I apply the 
sort of like the studio model to make it smaller. So it's just me, myself. There's no overhead. There's no staff cost to worry about. Uh, buy some films at a lower rights sort of risk financially. Mm-hmm. How do you actually do manufacturing? How do you put DVDs out? Where do you store it? How do you get in touch with HMV buyers and say, hey, man, I've got this film. Do you want to buy it? And just put all that together and just researched it. Um, went out to some markets and just saw Hansel and Gretel in the screening and just thought, wow, this is incredible. You know, when you see films in the screen, Adam probably has this as well. When you see films on a big screen and you've got the audience reaction there, it's 10 times better than actually sitting at home and watching it yourself, right? And you just get hooked on that. When you go to the market, you you participate with the audience reaction and you just think, well, this is incredible. Then, so we started with that film um, and that we worked really well. That's back in the day when, when Korean film industry really wanted to support and promote and export korean culture this was you know pre-gangnam style right before the whole soft powers type scenario and they used to have a, have a branch of kofik the korean film commission where they would give funding to distributors and it was great you'd apply via the film council and say we've got this korean film we need a bit of help with it obviously we're going to spend those on marketing um and we think the box office will be this and we're going to put this many cinemas they'd be very supportive the cinema bookers would be supportive because they want something different to offer. And that was great. Then things started to dwindle, I guess, sort of post 2008, 2009. The funding sort of dried up. Cinema started playing a bit safer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, streaming services possibly started coming in. Um, uh, you know, mul- mul- not multiplex, the multiple sort of like channels where you have lots of film channels you can watch at home. So then you start getting less and less out- output. Mm-hmm. So out is the output the right word? Uh, distribution output channels, right? Although the films were there, the demand was there. You just couldn't get it out because HMV reduced their shelf space, or the cinemas wanted to show like you know blockbuster films instead. Even independent cinemas, art house cinemas, just to make ends meet, they still had to show what the multiplexes were showing just to get some box office sales, right? Right. So then it became a lot more difficult, um, and so we stopped. We kind of didn't release as many films from then on. So yeah. Amazing. That's a bit of a long answer, wasn't it? Sorry. No, no, no. I, I find it so fascinating because, like I said, I've been a, a, a film fan my whole life and started off, you know, super, I want to say basic, but, you know, I, I basically got obsessed with horror. I just found all of Wes Craven's films at like a, as like a 13-year-old and just fell in love and just fell down the rabbit hole. And it wasn't until I was about 16 that I saw... Um, um, Hannah B and then Battle Royale in the same year and I was just like holy shit first off who is this Takeshi Kitano mm. and then obviously Kinji Fukasaku and then and it all went from there but never once did I think about oh I wonder like how we can distribute these to the wider audience and get it out there it was always about you know um, I guess not just about reviewing it but more like how do we make these and how do we get involved with these these productions so i just think it's fascinating that you two guys had that thought that same thought around well, the same time yeah go on I'm sorry but but joe joe is the proper businessman i mean uh <laughs> like you know well, this is but yeah I, in the way that you you analyze things a lot more before that you you do them and uh you know this is this terracotta is a sort of uh at times a hobby for yours because you've got proper proper full-time jobs i mean yeah. uh, that's as which is at big companies as well i mean it's pretty i was always quite amazed at uh, how you're able to, to balance working full-time at ma- a major company and doing this on the side and having as many kids as you do uh <laughs> <laughs> no, no, uh, right. did you know about yes uh you know it always always um amazes amazes me but then at the same time you know i think uh 
the way that that you pick movies and the way that uh, also your wife helps you pick movies yes. uh, is something that I've always uh, uh, I don't know I think it's always quite amusing. Yeah, because, so uh, it's, it's behind every successful man, right? <laughs> so yeah, my wife was very much uh, the boss at the start. Uh, Hansel and Gretel was her pick. Said like easy sell, good artwork, right? And then she went and picked Big Tit Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> It's like sex sells. <laughs> you know, it's got some like porn stars in it. It's going to sell, and it did. It did really well. So you know, she, you're right, Adam. Yeah, behind every th- one is good decision makers. That's I think most awesome. of your big hits have been been like Joy's will want to like release some really good drama that has won some award something, and then maybe his wife won't like it as much, but he'll pursue it, and then it won't sell well, and then she'll yeah. she always picks the the, the the best sellers actually of all the all yeah, yours, I think. She does. And then you can tell she's less involved these days, so our sales haven't been that great. <laughs> no, but then you've got to strike the balance, right? There's that, do we sell stuff for money? Because then there was that period, do you remember, with the whole sort of momentum era at them, where they were just getting any old crap and putting some really intense action um, front covers on it and sticking it like loads of units in Tesco's. But actually, it was just a local rom-com with a bit of a fight scene at the end or something. Right. Um, so do you want to do that, or do you want to have a bit of to like scruples about yourself and just think, right, this is a great film. Take Breathless, for example, right? That was an amazing film. Saw it, blew me away. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Ben. But... Oh, man, I love that. I mean, I, I say I love it. It was one of the most brutal and harrowing things I've ever seen, but it's incredible. Yeah, so that's everyone's reaction when they see it. And when I first saw it, it's, I guess there's a bit of evangelicalness about Adam and myself and uh, you as a critic as well, Ben, right? So you want to tell people about the films you've seen and, and you want to put it in their hands. And um, yeah, once we saw Breathless, Thought was amazing need to get on it um that did moderately well but not as well as big tit zombie which is <laughs> you know, wow less less insightful content on there less oh, it's like it's like me with teenage hooker became a killing machine you know uh, it's not one of the the standout films from from my catalog but it's uh one of the was one of the best sellers by far and that was oh, a time when like i had ptu and all that out there yeah. uh, that's you know, another thing, and, uh, right? Johnny Tone makes great noir movies, but somehow he's not established over here. Somehow, there's there's a, a real sort of underbelly of Asian film fans who like Johnny Tone. They're always asking about the mission. Like every month, someone will message in and say, "Can you release the mission, please?" And I have to like, I might as well copy and paste this and say my book answer. Look, the rights are all tied up. It's very difficult. Um, so yeah, I mean, we tried to like Adam PTU myself with Sparrow. Um, I'm just wondering how Eureka's done with the recent P2 release as well, and they've just released mm-hmm. Running Out of Time, or oh, sorry, Monday, Running Out of Time's coming out as well, which is a great couple of films as well. So yeah, it's one and two, isn't it, they're doing? One and two, I, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've seen the sequel, so yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, so the point being, it's it's very difficult to say, here's a great film, is really worthy. I mean, even like getting someone to watch Parasite was hard enough. It's only after it won the Oscar, people started taking notice and thinking, maybe I should go check this out because it's won an Oscar. But I reckon your average man on the street hasn't seen Parasite yet. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's an that's an interesting, an interesting one, isn't it? Because that that was the boom, and I don't know if you've seen any boost since that on like the back catalogue of Korean cinema. You'd be like, oh, who is this Bong Joon Ho? And then suddenly Korean cinema blows up. It, we did see some more sales in the Bong Joon Ho box sets, you know, Barking right. Dogs and all that sort of stuff, right? But in terms of lifting Asian cinema as a whole especially with our website where we've got you know all the different labels as well we didn't really see more traffic or anything or more search queries around that which is hmm. you know 
But at the same time, I think places like uh, like the BFI uh, over the last uh, few years have really been wrapping up a lot of Asian cinema on their streaming. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, the, the, when you're having those sort of big films like Parasite to reach a mainstream audience, I think the mainstream audience aren't buying physical as much as that sort of like collector's audience. Um, yeah, right. And therefore, they're going to the places where, phys- where, where they can watch it easier as in streaming. And therefore, going to the major companies they know of, like if it's art house or, or, or sort of uh, slightly out of the way cinema, maybe you've got the BFI and you've got movie and all that, but um, you know, they're not gonna, I think probably even if they watch parasite, they're not going to go and find the terracotta website. Uh, you know, it's, no, it's quite right. a big gap. In you're between. absolutely right. Um, you're, I mean, one of the things you just said there was it's BFI locked up the streaming for those mm-hmm. films. Right. Which means if I don't subscribe to BFI, I've never heard of BFI. All I have is Sky and Film 4 or whatever, right? Your average person we're talking about. You'd never get exposure to those films, right? Mm. <clears throat> but, but BFI yeah, no, are doing I, well, you know. I, mean, I think they're really... Uh, yeah. They're not paying much to us, but uh, <laughs> they <laughs> seem to... Yeah, they're, 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 their offers are going less and less. But they, especially with the Japan season over the last year or two, they... they I think they did quite well in, uh, in, but then again, it's still that's that it's still a niche market to a degree, yeah. no, a very large niche market uh, yeah. considering how much money they have to promote, which is the, obviously the big difference between uh, places like the BFI and people like us is that that marketing uh, ability. Yeah. It's funny the trickle down effect as well because I know we've just had it recently with um, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes where that film was just incredible and I was just singing its praises as, as loud as I could. And I know Adam was doing the same. And then I think sales are okay, right, Adam, but nowhere near kind of what One Cut the Dead did or anything like that. And then yeah. and then they end up on streaming. So I think it was on, you went to Amazon and we started singing about it again and a few more people start talking about it. We we're like, okay. Um, and again, it died down. I, was, I kind of just forgot about it. And then now it's just gone to all four here in the UK. Oh, yeah, I played, on, I played on TV the other day on uh, on John, yeah, film four, and now on all four. And now, everyone, I swear to God, my Twitter is just blowing up with people discovering it on all four. And I was just like, that is mad that, you know, it has to be right there in your face on a yeah, major platform. It, does, it just, really does. I mean, back to you then, Ben. You said you saw Hanabi. I guess that must have been on channel four back in the day, right? So, no, actually, that was so I was doing uh, film studies uh-huh. um, for an A level. <laughs> And yeah, so my my uh, my teacher was just a massive fan of Wong Kar Wai and Takeshi Kitano. So the first kind of Asian cinema that I properly got into, apart from Battle Royale and like Itchy the Killer and stuff, was yeah, it was like Hannah B and like Chunking Express, yeah. which is still like like kind of what I'm into now. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a massive eye opener for me. So I think during... someone passing it to you, someone recommending it, right? Always is the recommendation, which is yeah, sure. Like which is how it spreads. Sorry, Adam, you're saying. Well, I was just saying, talking about like films like Battle Royale, I think the reason they were getting into the mainstream was that they were playing in mainstream cinemas. Mm. So because thanks to Tartan were doing their Asia Extreme tour mm. around the UK and getting into Cineworld and all that. And therefore you had this situation where people who go into the cinema to watch like their usual Hollywood film and in the next screen there was like Old Boy or... or battle rail and that puts it into that same same scope it's like when you're watching something on channel four and you know and like you know you'd be watching whatever major hollywood film like men in black on channel four and then like 30 minutes later there's beyond the infinite two minutes so that's Mm -hmm. what gets people in otherwise and uh yeah i think having stuff in cinemas i mean you know joey you 
Hansel and Gretel was when again? I can't remember. 2008, maybe? 2009? But, 2007? But when was, when yeah. was the, the Tiger? Because, you know, like, with the Tiger and the Terracotta Film Festivals, that was getting yeah. into the Prince Charles, which also makes that reach for people that go into the Prince Charles to watch their double bill of Robocop and whatever other studio film, and then they see the Asian films in the next screen. Yeah. I think those sort of getting into that 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 market. And, and uh, yeah, Tiger, Tiger, Tiger Film Festival ran, ran, ran when? Uh, probably oh seven oh eight. So we started. I think maybe that's how it started, isn't it? So yeah, working that's in the how studios, it started before, before did the uh, Tiger Festival, and then did Hans and Gretel. Yeah. So I had this idea. Haven't been to the film market. Went to Cannes. Well, this is amazing. You know, films, seaside, nice bit of architecture. <laughs> Let's do the same thing. Brighton looks like Cannes. <laughs> Let's have a film festival in Brighton. Um, and then just try to, but it goes in shows like Business 101, don't touch what you don't know. I don't know Brighton that well. I don't live in Brighton. And you kind of know it's a cool, hit place. But unless you're on the ground and you're running an event especially, right, unless you're on the ground, there's a lot of things you don't know enough about, um, you know, the local areas, the where's the cool bars and what are the people into and all that sort of stuff, right? So Brighton was a bit of a stretch. So then we relocated back to London, uh, renamed it Terracotta Festival, um, held at the Prince Charles, which is like Adam saying, it's like the home of cult cinema. Yeah, isn't it? so, it's amazing. There was something, but I don't, I don't at all remember the Tiger Film Festival being in Brighton. I mean, yeah. I have a pretty shorty memory, but even if if somebody reminds, I don't know. I remember like, it was the Duke. The, was it called Duke of York down there in Brighton? Um, and we play stuff like Assembly. Um, what else did we play? Yeah. No, I remember because of the terrible. At the ICA was the Tiger Film Festival with, uh, wasn't it? No, <laughs> you're getting me mixed up with someone else. Maybe, Wait, I'm, no, maybe, no, no. I'm, maybe I'm forgetting it. I don't know. doesn't matter really. But we definitely Brighton. We definitely did some stuff at the ICA. I know London Korean Film Festival definitely did stuff at the ICA as well, around about the same time. That's when we met as well. That's when you did a President's Last Bang. That was at the ICA, wasn't it? That Yes, that... that... That was the ICA with uh, Im Sang Soo came over as part of yes the, the Korean Film Festival. But um, I remember I thought Maybe the Tiger did. Film Festival was was one year at the ICA and and we did have um, some of my back catalogue play. We'll have to so go was ICA find the... Brighton or just ICA then? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> you have to find out the old, the old catalogue somewhere. How many years did it run for the Tiger? Uh, two years, I think. Two years. Right. And then okay. took a bit of a break and Terracotta, I think, 09, maybe. I remember the first film was Eye for an Eye, and that was very good. It's still never been released. So I've, good. I've I've not done done exactly, right? So there's all these great films. Someone like you would love this, like yeah. Korean like action thriller. Um, but it just never got released. And the only time people ever saw it, I guess, in the UK was either illegally streaming on Pirate Bay or whatever, and then coming to the Terracotta Festival. Wow. And I mean, are you able to, so I am involved with the Cambridge Film Festival here, just on the marketing team. And uh, through the pandemic, we had to, one year we went in exclusively online and the other year we had sort of maybe 50% screenings in the theatre and then 50% online. Is there any sort of, uh, you know, chance that you could use your streaming platform to create like the Terracotta Film Festival again, but in a streaming capacity? Possibly. Um, although the whole point of a festival is to mingle with other people, like-minded. Yeah. We've actually had people actually get married. They come to us, invited me to his wedding. He said, we met through the terracotta, like, like wow. meetup groups and stuff. Um, and they just sat on the table randomly and then they got married. So like that sort of stuff is great to hear. Yeah. 
No, you true. Know, coincidentally, to, we, because we used to have these these things, the Asian movies meetup group, Joey and I, where every month at like various places in London, we we would have film screenings and then drinks after. And yes, there were a, a couple there that met at the Asian movies meetup group and got married. And the the wife, uh, the, the the female of, of that, uh, her sister lives lived ended coincidentally ended up living two doors down from me in Tokyo. No, oh my god! Yeah, in the same in the same block, just literally two doors down, and like, oh my god. I mean, that's quite quite a uh, cosmic coincidence. Crazy. To see. Yeah, cosmic crazy, all the way out there. That's incredible. Yeah. Man. So no, those were fun. So I think the whole point of a festival is a film discovery. Obviously, <laughs> watching films that some, I guess, gatekeepers, tastemakers, whatever you want to call them, the equivalent of A and R people for record label, will go mm-hmm. out, do all the hard work, watch all these films. Ten of crap, one is good, and then you bring it and put it on in a, in a big screen with other people, and you get to meet the directors or cinematographer or actor or whatever. I think that is the beauty of a festival. Um, and to do it online, it's it's just a, a bunch of films online to me. It's just the season, isn't it? But if you've got a brand like a Sundance, Cambridge, Edinburgh, you know, NFF, then that's an event in itself, and in lieu of being able to go in person during lockdown, having it online makes sense. But I don't think Terracotta is that sort of size and established sort of brand to do that. So, yeah. Sure. No, that's fair enough and very well said. I mean, yeah, it wasn't the same at all watching them from home. Yeah. We did miss the crowds. But uh, that's a good sort of segue, though, into how the pandemic might have affected you. Because um, I know Adam's sort of changed his whole philosophy on everything over the last couple of years. Oh, with. Really? Uh, where he spends his time and stuff now. Well, I've always said to Adam, it's like, you know, you should release like the big sellers so you can, you know, one for them, one for me sort of thing. So you do the real big seller so you could just do the little smaller one. But he's like, it's not really his philosophy uh, anymore. It's, it's more like, yeah, helping the smaller person get up that might never get seen. Yeah. I don't think my wife is like like Joey's, uh, though, to be honest. Um, I think really Joey's wife, uh, the balance of him, her pushing uh, the sort of films that... Are a lot more uh, accessible, and uh, my wife and I don't don't particularly watch movies together. Well, ever since we've had a kid, we 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 barely had any time to do much. Uh, we don't have the uh, the ability of of Joey to multitask uh, three children and job. <laughs> I think really I don't know how you how you do it uh, because oh, clearly not we used to play... <laughs> well, yeah, It's funny, yeah, you know, think, hmm. you've got so many different avenues within your. Um, your company and I, I don't know why this has happened but I've always associated terracotta with the kind of terracotta you know the horror side of things right. the kind of schlocky stuff because I the, the ones that I own I'm just looking at my shelf now I've got um, meatball machine I've got a bloody muscle bodybuilder in hell those ones um, and yeah I'm just interested really like how because that you actually released them on your brand label didn't you as yeah. terracotta yeah yeah I, I like um, a good pun <laughs> I just came up, it was one day we just came up with the word terracotta i just i don't i can't remember what it was it might have been randomly on the tube or something i thought that'd be really cool we put all our horror and cult titles in a way you have a branding for asia extreme yes I mean, that's great isn't it it's just taking two words asia extreme does what it says on the tin um and actually when we started terracotta you're quite right when you said we had a, a real range of our films i deliberately decided not to do what a uh, Tartan Asia Extreme did and what Adam's done to become known for something because mm-hmm. when the well runs dry you've got no product 
and I feel that's what happened to Tottenham. I don't know if you agree, Adam, being the man on the inside. There was less and less of that really pushing the boundary type movies coming out of Japan, Korea and Hong Kong. So then they package stuff up like Breaking News. I wouldn't say particularly was Asia Extreme. It's a good film. I really enjoyed it. But I yeah. don't think it's in the same vein as, I don't know, Old Boy or The Tale of Two Sisters or something. It's not as twisted. I think Asia Extreme stands for twisted and cult, right? Yeah. Um, so then I thought Terracotta, let's do the same sort of thing. Rather than try and be known for something, let's just have a brand within a sub-brand for that horror, horror culty type stuff that exists within Terracotta. And then the normal, well, it's normal, like mainstream dramas, action, thrillers, gangster stuff, we just release on the other label. Yeah. What other, so apart from Terracotta, what other ones did you do? The kind of the punny side of things? Uh, no, that was it really. Terracotta oh, was it? <laughs> and Terracotta and uh, our WhatsApp group for our company is called Terra Chatter. <laughs> Have a good chat with all the uh, past Terracotta alumni. Um, but then we also had another um, label, Sharp Teeth Films, because we'd seen a lot of non-Asian films, just coincidentally, when you go to the markets, you want to kill time. Adam probably know this, right? There's a there's a cool film going on at, I don't know, 10.30, and then your next screening's on at 12, so let's go watch this film, and it'd be some, like, I don't know, Spanish serial killer hijacked young girls and hacks them up, or something like that, like <laughs> Russian cannibals, good. or, you know, some some kind of, like, like very easy sell films and then so we started a, a label for that for films that we liked but that's slowing down a bit now because it's just too much work now to maintain so many labels yeah right but you still are releasing under terracotta and you still are planning ahead. Um, not so much this year last year our last one was meatball machine yeah. and the economies of scale are, are getting really hard now i don't know how you're finding it, adam but the economies of scale um really really quite difficult now in terms of manufacturing costs, storage costs. There's very little outlet left now to sell DVDs. You've got practically HMV, FOP and Amazon, um, possibly eBay as well if you want to do it yourself. Um, some of the supermarkets, I think, are going to stop stocking DVD and Blu-ray altogether, even the Hollywood releases. They want to give that floor space back to groceries or you know, clothes or whatever. Um, mm. So it's getting really, really hard. So now you've got to work even harder to tell people about the film so they're bothered to seek it out in the first place. Long gone is that sort of impulse, I'm going to grab five DVDs for 20 quid or whatever, right? And this looks good and the artwork looks cool. Um, so it's just getting harder. So we're going to slow down on releasing until we've got some more bankable stuff. Even Meatball Machine, no brainer. It hasn't done as well as I would have expected. Yeah. Interesting. So yeah, yeah I so, think, oh, sorry, please go ahead. I, I think people don't really realize how, how hard it is. Uh, to, to, to make anything from these these sort of films and you know just the the massive costs of, of the rights and, and putting them out there and, and making the extra features and subtitling and marketing and you know how much work goes into for really like tiny amounts of profit uh, that's why I think unless you're releasing movies like just just like non-stop and just taking the small amount of profit from each one and just sort of like a, having occasionally one one hit or two hits every every year or so. It's really hard to, to, to keep going. And I, I think that a lot of the consumers, uh, the audiences don't really realize how hard it is. I mean, even some titles of mine like like Crazy Thunder Road that or with Joy with Meatball Machine, you'd expect them to be popular. But, um, you know unless you're selling like like thousands and thousands of copies, you're just not making any money. And most of these things are barely selling a thousand copies, mm. which which barely breaks even. And if it wasn't actually for the terracotta store and me being able to have Joey 
ship out stuff on my behalf and not take anywhere near the amount of cuts that like Amazon or or any other retailers take, then I wouldn't be able to be continuing right now, to be honest. Um, you know, the, the amount of of percentage that places like Amazon or the Arrow Store or any of those sort of places take is 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 insane to just to keep on 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 going. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really uh, big statement. Can I just like dwell on that for a second? You're saying that if you were continuing before we started a store selling third party products, if you were doing the normal channels that we're familiar with, your Amazon's, HMVs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and going via Arrow, you would find it really hard going, and you may not even continue releasing stuff is that what you're saying yes especially because of uh, as we ben just brought up the, the point of the, the pandemic uh, and that as you mentioned as well brought up lo- loads of costs in, and those costs go on to the people below i mean uh you know sony and and, and arrow and all those places up their costs to a point that if i didn't have terracotta as an outlet to sell my titles i wouldn't be able to do it at all i mean it was just it would just be impossible wow and uh and th- and thank god yes uh I've had uh, because if if I was in the UK, I'd be doing it all all myself, running the post office. And and but since I'm not there anymore, I, I, I yes, I, I have to fill up your house with with DVDs and Blu-rays <laughs> instead. No, but joking aside, that sounds quite worrying because it is so difficult. I mean, there's loads of labels. I was surprised to find there's like more than two hundred or three hundred labels, specialist labels that weren't mainstream labels. Some of them probably mm. exist to release their own film they made as a director or something. There's so many smaller labels out there. I'm wondering how they're existing, like Second Sight, Second Run. Uh, I was going to say Soda, but they're not small anymore. But you know, you know those like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know those sort of like arty labels that rely on one big theatrical release. And of course, if you don't have that theatrical release um, during pandemic, how how have they survived? Then you know, I think. I mean, just with Second Sight in particular, I know I've seen their sets and they go all out with those releases like they're massive almost like you know ornamental um presentations okay. with like yeah booklets and postcards yeah. yeah 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 so i think the price point is so high on that like i think so adam you were saying you need to sort of on a general release you'd have to sell a thousand to break even right and that's quite rare unless it's a really popular film um mm. was to think if the price point was you know 60 70 or 80 quid you'd have to sell a lot less right Exactly, I mean, and the films like the the Obayashi box set and the ter- the Toyota box set uh, with the higher price points have done a lot better for me, and and I've broken even at a lot less than, than a thousand. But that's also thanks to the fact that coincidentally, those I've been releasing those box sets around the time that that uh, I've been working more more with Terracotta, and I think if those box sets were, were uh, sold to the majority sold through uh, Amazon or Arrow, then it wouldn't uh, have. Um, made so much an impact to be honest because those places are taking 50 percent of the sales it is so interesting because joey i don't know again we always say on the show whenever we talk about the release we always say first and foremost go to terracotta and get yeah, it there thank you. and i think thank you, you always do an early more uh an early morning <laughs> you do like an early um price right a pre-sale price yeah which tends to be competitive with like Amazon and things like that, but you yeah. take a much uh, smaller cut which is amazing i would be really interested to find out adam like how much gets sold through terracotta compared to say amazon or arrow like is it like a 50 50 split between the you know terracotta and the rest or is it i try to push terracotta as much as i can um so usually if if it's a a niche title and people are learning about it from my social media platforms then 
they're going to go to where I'm pointing them. And and if I was previously pointing them towards Arrow Films or something, they'd go there. But now I'm pointing them towards Terracotta, and therefore the majority of the sales are from them. But if it's like a more mainstream title, like a Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes or One Cut of the Dead, people are hearing about that title from other sources than me, and therefore they go into the places they know to buy, which is mm-hmm. the Amazons and the Arrow stores and the uh, sort of more well-known suppliers. So. Yeah, it just depends that's, on... That's on, the key, on, isn't it? Is awareness and market size. How big is your inbuilt audience for this film? So then, Ben, when you found out about Hanabi, for example, yeah. Yeah. where does someone like you go to go find other Asian films, right? If they're not readily yeah. available. It's a bit of a chicken and egg. If they're not readily available, the demand is there, but I can't go see it. But because you don't go see it, everyone immediately thinks, well, no one wants to watch Asian films. <laughs> It's so wild that point. Yeah, because back then it was just Midnight Eye was basically the only place you could go to see what else was right. going on in, in East Asian cinema. But now you can go on, and I mean, the the choices are like minimal, but you go onto Netflix or wherever, you can just type in Japanese film or Korean film and yep. see what pops up. And again, that's the um, problem, right? So the audience is now fragmented. Gone are the days where you only have like four TV channels and you have only Empire Magazine or something that recommends you stuff and only one decent cinema in your town or whatever. And now the audiences are so fragmented across, you know, there's small audience numbers across many verticals now, right? Some people yeah. just in, in, into K-dramas and that's it. Some people are into anime. Some people are only into Marvel. Some people are only into like esoteric, you know, wacky, highbrow dramas, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. That, that It's just really hard to then cut through and get to the right audience that you need to sell. It costs even more. There's more effort and time and money now, I find just to reach your target audience for that film. I don't know if you're finding that same thing, Adam. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's uh, especially with, with the pandemic, it's made things uh, really a, a lot harder. And um, and why, you know, releasing films like the Hiroko the Goblin or the Gemini or the Tsukumoto Shinya, obvious titles are a lot easier because it's that sort of built-in audience of people that already know it. And even titles that you'd expect to do more, like Crazy Thunder Road, because it's, by, it's a real cult film, but, but it's... Uh, it's not as obvious as the built-in and and uh, you know these Tsukamoto Shinya Takashi Kitano the the, type, the the directors that everybody knows of, and you know I I don't want to be like a type of company that's just releasing the films that people I don't want to say people want because uh, but pe- the films that people know of already I think it's a bit boring to be like a like a a studio in essence just it's just mm. a business mm. you know it doesn't really get me any pleasure but then again releasing sort of i mean i when i when i release a film like crazy thunder road and i expect it to be an obvious seller and it doesn't sell i just like well if that's not going to sell them then what can i do you know obviously the films like zoki don't sell at all uh but i sort of knew that ahead of time uh but you know if a film like crazy thunder road still hasn't broken even then uh you know i can't just release komoto shinya or like shion sono or something all the time because they run out of films to make and you end up being that sort of as you mentioned, the Asia extreme, where you only have a certain number of films to release, and they end up losing more, more and more quality. Yeah. As yeah. so, it's it's hard to balance things, and uh, yeah, I'm really uh, a bit worried now about what films to release over the next few years. Because I think, uh, I think all's not lost, though. I mean, you think about what you just said. You need a thousand units to break even. You just need to find a thousand people in the world who are willing to have heard of and want to part money with. Um, part money with part money so that they can buy a blu-ray of crazy thunder road right a 
thousand people it doesn't sound like a tall order but it no. just seems like a lot of hard work to to get to those thousand people that's all so, yeah. and that's just breaking even though it's not making a profit right there you go <laughs> But no, I just said that to Adam because Adam's got what like ten thousand followers or something on yeah. on Twitter alone, and yeah. let alone the other. And so I was like, "Well, they're all yeah, female no. admirers." <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like ten percent of that must be able to, but it's like, no, you'd be surprised, and I, yeah. I, I am surprised. I'm always surprised. Yeah, I mean, Adam has a massive in-book following, and he does mm. have a lot of success in saying, "I've got this film out," and people will just on the strength of the brand and Adam saying, "I'm releasing this film," will just buy it blind without knowing mm-hmm. what the film is. So that's a great testament to the sort of catalogue he's built up and the brand he's built up so that's brilliant but to get anything beyond that beyond your core audience there's so much choice out there right now i mean for you as well right and you mentioned you like lots of films you've probably seen so many films already and only because you're working in asian films now i guess you have a high proportion of asian movies oh yeah in your, in your watch list right now right whereas yeah, your average film lover probably will have a small because so many when you classify foreign films there's so many spanish argentinian chilean mm-hmm. films mexican films and they may have a korean and japanese film in mind when it goes to the cinema you know shoplifters drive my car whatever you know yeah, yeah. we're a sub- yeah, yeah. subset basically is what i'm saying no for sure what you need adam is um, like big tit zombie 2 or something you need that you need- it was in 3d as well <laughs> <laughs> Old school 3D, wasn't it? Didn't you put all the all the glasses in? in uh... <laughs> we sourced from China. We sourced those like green red specs that you've got for Jaws 3D back in the day in the cinema. And we put them inside as well. The um, And even the cost of that. So back then, everything was cheaper. We sold, I think, 3,000 units on the first week, right? So this is giving you the economics, right? Wow. So back then, selling 3,000 units was nothing. And you'd probably want to break even around 600, 700, 800 units right back then. But now it's like we're struggling to sell three, four hundred units. You know, it's crazy. But even with the cost of, you know, shipping these glasses from China and having, uh, I can't remember who it was, might have been Sony bespoke, packing them individually and then shrink wrapping the. De- even then, we still made money back then. You know. Yeah. Holy crap! That is scary. Do you still have any copies of Big Tit Zombie lying around? I might do if you want one. <laughs> Loads of copies of, of uh, Gyo, don't you? Oh, uh... Gyo as well. Oh, Gyo. Gyo's a story in itself. This is like a bloody business school lesson, isn't it? So with Gyo, Adam, have I told you about the Gyo? What happened with it? Uh, last time I checked, you had like thousands uh, in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, no. So trying to why, give away why we have thousands? It's almost like the perfect storm. So Adam's mentioned this is a part-time job, right, for me. Yeah. Um, and then eventually grew Terracotta to be big enough where I quit, did it full time. We employed three or four people. We had our own office in the trendy part of London uh, and everything was great. Everything's going brilliantly. Then we get an order in for Gyo for, I think it was 30,000 units or something. No, it wasn't 30,000. It would have been 6,000 units. And that would have been about 30 grand or somewhere near to 30, 27 grand income for us, right? Revenue for us from Asda. Right. This is brilliant. This is amazing. Ship it all out. Party, party. Monday get a call um as this i've got loads of stock to return back but yeah why is it not selling no when someone takes it to the till and they scan it the barcode's wrong it comes up as a book so they no. can't process it through their till and we we worked really hard to get a chart position so in the world of supermarkets when you're selling dvds it's really important to get a chart position so right. i can't remember if you walk in ben you see these dvds chart chart yeah. like one to ten or whatever and the best sellers this week we got really hard to get the front-facing charts. So it's not just the spine. You get the yeah. actual front as well. And then I thought, oh, my God, what's going on here? And it was right. They, they sent all the units back, all 6,000. We had to quickly repress another 6,000 because that's the order they put in. 
And by that time, obviously, we lo we'd lost our chart position because in week one, there was no sales. Oh, so then gosh. central head office of Tesco saying, well, they've sold nothing. Why are we giving them a chart position? Week two, we can just relegate them. So we sent another six. So there's the cost of making the initial, the cost of sending it back, cost of repressing 6,000, cost of sending those out, cost of sending those back because they weren't being sold. <laughs> and then the cost of storage all these years, I've still got about 1,000 left. And that came up with a big, uh, a big learning from us is attention to detail, right? So in right. the inlay card um, and the, the cover, we've now, we now introduced back then a process where we have two people cross-checking, a bit like cabin crew cross-checking the doors, right? So you'd mm -hmm. have like your master sheet, you tick off, all the details, cat number, barcode, BBFC rating, cast and crew director spellings. And then you get a second person checking it and ticking it. So even though we're a small company, I think big company processes are still important when you're trying to grow, you know? So, yeah. Oh man, that is an amazing story. Yeah. What's well, like mean, what happened with Arrow recently? recently. Well, no, I, the fact that it's Geo as well, because I mean, I love Chunji Ito. I actually love the manga of that story. I think it's incredible. But that, that film is bonkers yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to fall down on that one fuck yeah. we might have been in a different place who knows yeah <laughs> well i was gonna say adam sends me his check discs to watch and i always like really shit myself whenever i'm doing it because i'm like if if i miss something and it goes out then it's going to be my fault and you know the recall and everything that's where the checklist come in handy we, we yeah. did a qa checklist as well for DVDs like, are there any subs dropout, audio dropout? Is the name correct at the beginning? Like, the logo come on for five seconds? All those things. I mean, the QC person would just take a checklist. You know. I mean, I've had some problems in the past with like DCPs not playing, or, or so films not being able to play in cinemas. Uh, but I don't think I've ever had a recall or anything. I, I've had some things where the checklist has had a fault, and I've had it to be fixed in time. Did, but yeah, you, you know, one I, where it was completely the wrong film on the disc. <laughs> Check this. Can I? Yeah, there was one. I can't remember what it was. A film came and you press play. It wasn't the film that it was meant to be. Blimey, I'm that's why you have check discs, you know. I yeah, mean, yeah. Uh, but sometimes if, if you don't have time and, and it's like you've set the release date, the check discs are coming in like a few weeks before the release date and everything's all set up and you just sort of hope for the best sometimes. Like uh, if this disc is, is a problem, I'm fucked because... The release date is set, like the retailers place their orders, like everything's in motion. And that's why I guess you have these situations like like Arrow have had recently where they've had to recall and send replacement discs out and has screwed up their releases for, for months. I mean, oh, Arrow really? haven't been able Which to. Ones? Yeah. For, oh, uh, every uh, every one they've done for the last like, few you months, serious? basically. Yeah. Oh, my God. But they're not yeah. big. To be honest, I don't think they're that big issues but i think their audience are paying because they're paying so much for these like bespoke editions and they're a lot um more critical about what they're getting i think if it was like a a normal person buying a copy of spider-man 3 for like five pounds on 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 in a, in a bargain bin and there was like a glitch somewhere i don't think they'd care but i i think because the audiences of our are, are a lot more critical nowadays that if there's like a, a small glitch or a, something or another they they are uh, and of course, because they have a much, uh, they have high esteem for Arrow, and Arrow are marketing themselves as this sort of like, uh, um, sort of company for the people, and um, putting so much uh, effort. And, and the the releases are so expensive and so limited that I think if you run into an error, you're in trouble. And they've run into loads of errors uh, over the last few months, and and to a point where they can only release like one new release each month. Hmm. If you weren't doing this, Ben, where would you go get your films? Maybe that's an interesting topic for us to understand, Adam and myself. Where's the outlets? 
Yeah, streaming definitely is the the primary source because I mean I've got I've got a young daughter myself and I work full time so for me to actually get out to a shop and even stop you know browsing the shelves is is rare like maybe once once a month on the on a weekend I'll go down and do that um but yeah I I hear people complain all the time about Twitter right they call it a hellscape and you know because you've got so many opinionated assholes and everyone wants to sell you their agenda and stuff for me, it's an absolute joy. I've found like this little corner of like, they call it film Twitter, where just everyone just wants to celebrate film. Mm. And um, obviously me now, my association with Adam, fundamentally, most people just follow me for East Asia cinema. And I just love it. But when, what I'll do is I'll say, I'm, I'm watching this film and someone will instantly be like, that's amazing. Have you seen this, this and this by these people? And yeah, the the one bad thing is that constantly now i get you should tell adam to release this <laughs> and um i'm just like yeah i'll try but because it's so hard right like you said the work that goes into getting released even if it's not tied up in rights issues which like nine times out of ten it is it's it's just insane let me guess is it wild zero survive style five like a dragon <laughs> Survive Style 5 is incredible. Are those the Star ones Star that are always, is... always getting asked about? That's what we're getting asked about all the time. Well, well Zero, I tried to, um, but it's just, yeah, it's a, yeah, they're too. a pain there. Ones, and, uh, Survive Style 5, I've, I've actually been working with them, trying to sort something out, but there's there's music rights issues. But there's a chance uh, for Survive Style 5. Space. That's cool. Oh, yeah. That is um, exciting. But then so you say I'll, streaming, I'll then. Sorry. Yeah. You say Sorry, streaming, yes. then, and you talk about you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these, that I actually find there's a lot of them just finding streaming sites that are not legal and talking about films. They love the films. And of oh, course, I'm not, I'm not anti-piracy and, and bashing people because as a consumer, if I can get something for free, why not, right? So that how do we then convert that audience into a, a paying audience, the passionate audience who want to see the latest films? And I think there's a time issue as well, right? So yeah. when something comes out in Asia, there's a buzz about it. People want to watch it straight away. Whereas in the world of rights management, it takes ages to negotiate the rights and press the discs, right, for example. So by that time, the buzz is gone. So how do we capture those film fans? Yeah, no, you're 100% right. I mean, the only time that I'll go to those sorts of sites is when there's no other way to see a film. Mm. Like it hasn't been released, right? But normally, I mean, you can find stuff. Um, what was the one recently that blew my mind? It came out. Well, so you've got Incantation, right? That new Thai horror yeah, just comes yeah. straight to Netflix, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, and Shudder just got the sadness the other day. Yeah. Um, and that makes me sad because I don't have Shudder. And I really right. want to watch it. Yeah. So Shudder's a funny one because that's one that I, rather than having it just go all year round, I'll just kind of sign up for a month just to watch like as <laughs> many, many films as possible and get off it. Different but, email um, addresses, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Use my work postcode, quick. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, you're right. But there is certain films that just get stuck in limbo. And well, yeah, like that film Limbo, right, Adam? Yeah, the, um, yeah, the Hong Kong one. Yeah. That I just no released it. Yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. Hmm. Honestly, Joey, that's like, a really good question. And I wasn't prepared for it. And I've got no idea <laughs> how you get people in there. Send me a I mean, Well, I think, I think your streaming service is a damn good place to start. Um because if people have a place where they know they trust you as a distributor, they know that you've got affiliation with like the big one, like not just Adam, but like Arrow and everything like that. Because there is, I've got the Arrow channel on my Amazon Prime. You know, you can add your channels to that. Um, 
And again, it's just hard to keep that um, subscription going if it's just the same films every month and it's not constantly updated. Mm. So again, that's going to be a whole new level of ball ache for you to try to keep adding stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually, yeah. Especially the desirable ones as well, you know, the headline-grabbing one, like Limbo's or uh, Sadness or Incantation. Do you know who I think has actually done it really smart is um, Mubi, where they'll say, you know, here's, here's 30 films for 30 days and then they're gone. Yeah. So everyone's like, there's that, you have to get there, you have to be there, and otherwise you're missing. So, from a rights point of view, though, Adam, does that mean they don't sign like two, five, ten year deals? They sign one month deals then for the rights. Yeah, and, that, and that's how they're able to do it is by um mm. by by paying small amounts and having for them for a very limited time. It's like how like uh, for example, Spectrum Films in France yeah. only pay the limited. They only buy the rights for one thousand to release one thousand copies, and therefore they can do it at a cheaper price. Um, mm-hmm. so. I think that that's how, yeah, that's how the model. they're able yeah. to work. Uh, Maybe that's the way it's smart, smart model, yeah. 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 I mean, my my main way of seeing films ahead of time is I've got a few contacts through the Cambridge Film Festival, so we can get screeners from you know direct from the publishers, and so that's been really helpful. But again, then you just feel so guilty when you type. You, you say you're watching it on Twitter, and a hundred people go, "Where are you seeing this? I, mean, mm-hmm. I need it." You're like, yeah. uh, can't send it to you and i've got yeah. no idea when you'll possibly be able to get this yeah but do you ever get film fatigue maybe that's the difference between people like me and people like you guys is i, I got to a stage where i was watching too many screeners too many films even non-work films i just stopped enjoying film for a bit and i didn't want to have that to happen so i just paused watching films for a while so i had that when i got my degree in film studies straight after i finished film school i was like i I can't watch a film now without going, oh, look at that mise-en-scene and stuff. I was just like, this is bullshit. So I stopped. But honestly, this is going to sound so cringy, but films saved my life, like genuinely. Like I've I've had a really rough few years with stuff going on um, and film is like the thing that calms me down and keeps me chill. Um, I used to do a podcast called Sudden Double Deep, right? Um, they're still running now. They're really good if you want to check them out. But basically the premise was me and one of my best mates. And the premise was we cover three films across three different genres and three different decades that share a, a word in the title. So the, um, the first one was impact. So you had sudden impact, double impact and deep impact, right? Okay. And that was the premise. And it was, I just loved it. But then we used to record two or three episodes a month because he lived in London, I lived in Cambridge, and this was before all the recording over over Zoom and everything. So I would be watching like, you know, <laughs> nine or ten uh, films across the whole length and breadth of cinema every month, and it got to be like homework. Well, I was just like not enjoying it anymore and be like, what are we watching today? Oh, it's some like 1950s, like, you know, gangster film. I was like, oh, I can't be asked to do this. When the lockdown hit and I had my daughter... I was like, East Asian cinema is my love and my passion. I'm just going to focus on that, and that's all I want to do. And I've never looked back, and it's been nearly three years now. And, you know, my followers, like, doubled on Twitter because people started seeing the passion I had for it. And, yeah, I just realized, I was like, this is what, yeah, and that's how I met Adam. And, yeah, it's just been amazing. I can't imagine getting fatigued from it, no. And the second, so, like, Sorry, I'm just going to motor mouth now. But like, I do like these seasons, right? So I did um, 
uh, Takashi Miike May, where I just spent the whole of May just going through any Miike films I hadn't seen before, you know, stuff like Zebra Man and stuff like that, which was just awesome. And then I went straight into Kinchi Fukusaku June, which is I hadn't seen all the Battles Without Honor and Humanity films and, you know, all of those um, Sonny Chiba ones and things like that. It was just amazing. And I was kind of like fatigued on the whole violent, you know, insanity of all that. So this month I've just been watching um, Hirokazu Koreeda films. And it's just the polar opposite. These these really calming, often quite sad, but yeah, these like family dramas. And it's just been amazing. So the second you get bored, you just you just tweak it a little bit and change it up and suddenly you're somewhere else. Hmm. What about you, Adam? Do you ever get film fatigue? Yeah, I think, you know, (laughs) Constantly. When it's when it's work, yeah, I think for the last, uh, I think mostly because of the fact that I've got a, a young kid and uh, I don't really have that much of time nowadays. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I really have uh, got it um, because there is a lot of pressure as well uh, with with it being work related. But then again, you know, I love going to the cinema, and uh, I used to go to the cinema really like seven days a week uh, up until the pandemic hit. And nowadays, I have been able to as much, and I think that's the difference. If you go, to, if you're sitting and watching it on, a, on like you said, in an online festival, like it doesn't really have the same feeling as going to the cinema. And I think the whole pandemic has really um, taken us away from cinemas and from film festivals. And I haven't been to a film festival in, in, in years, obviously, because Japan has been that country that it's really hard to get out of and then come back in. So it's really separated me from a lot of other people that are still able to go to film festivals. Uh, during this this time but um once i'm able to get back into the cinema and seeing stuff on the big screen and seeing stuff with an audience i think i'll I'll, uh, I'll get better but uh the film fatigue has really hit during this um this pandemic uh do you, you watch so many though don't you? you watch like literally like tens a week no no i don't watch as many as i used to i used to but the, the, the four pandemic, films a day this guy yeah. yeah i used to watch a lot more than that before uh, i used to watch eight films a day i, I couldn't sleep so, but uh, yes, that's just uh, uh, we're talking about. It, it was for a bit, yes. <laughs> but you know, so what, it's uh, yeah. What about you, Joey? So you don't really watch films at all anymore? No, no, I do, I do. Um, I love watching, and we have a family movie night as well. So we always make the kids pick a film, right? So we've just completed all the bonds, not completed all the bonds, all the Daniel Craig bonds. We have like nice. consecutive weeks, and like yourself, you know, with your Fukusaku stuff, you have like you catch one, you want to watch the rest of them, right? Yeah. Um, so I like Hollywood movies. I like Hollywood action movies. I like Marvel movies. And then it's stressing me out how many films of Adams I've got to watch. So I've got, <laughs> still haven't watched Hanging Garden. I want to watch Gilded Through Time. Literally just finished um, uh, Summertime Machine Blues at the weekend. And you've got to be really selective with your time, more so than when you were before. You know, with kids, right? We both, like all three of us, know with kids, mm. there's very limited time left in the day. So if you can slot in two films, let's say in an evening after the kids have gone to bed, which two films do you pick, you know, mm. and then you get stressed out. Well, which one do I go for? Why do I pick this one and not this one? You know, and it's just, yeah, you get more stressed thinking about it than you do actually just getting on with stuff. So I think that's why I do my seasons because it takes away some of that stress right. and worry. I'm like, right, this month I'm just going to focus on this. Yeah. And then, yeah, you don't have any then It becomes like work then. And it depends what mood you're in, right? So, yeah. you know, sometimes, I, I mean, I've got, I did, do that plan and i said right i'm gonna watch all these things like you know let's do some horror type stuff i'm gonna watch titan uh last night in soho whatever it is right you know all mm. that sort of like binge watch that stuff that i've missed and lighthouse still not seen lighthouse yet oh that's a goodie and then and then you get to it and thinking flipping out black and white is slow. <laughs> <laughs> you 
Don't be a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so stick that always sunny in Philadelphia on for like 20 minutes yeah. and then just go to bed after that. Nice. I love that you dropped that. But I, just, I really want to watch like it looks incredible if you're in the right mood and catch it at the right time. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I suppose you haven't seen the Northman yet either. Not yeah. yet, no. I mean I'm bloody hell, I've still got Dallas Buyers Club queued up to watch as well. I'm <laughs> never in the mood to watch someone burn back of AIDS. I still need to see that as well. Uh, well, look, I, I mean, there's still so many of Adams that I haven't watched yet. I'm yeah. trying to go back through the... I'm, I'm going to try and watch um, No Blood, No Tears later, which oh, I think was brilliant. the first one he ever released. Yeah, it's brilliant. Is it? Great film. Yeah, so good. Awesome. It's high, it's high paced for that time as well. It's clever. So, see, that's what we should be doing. I should be going through the catalogue and getting your opinions and everything. Yeah. <laughs> go through it sequentially, and you can see the evolution of Third Window and the, the tastes. It's a mess. but it has been fun though hasn't it i mean we talk about it as in like wolves moaning about how hard it is and all this stuff and obviously you and i adam wouldn't still be doing it unless there was some sort of enjoyment and reward there so it has been quite fun yeah and and and, you know going back and thinking about you know things like the terracotta film festival and the tiger film festival and then the terracotta releases and having all those guests like uh you know for breathless and uh and what was her name again? The the, the actress um, Kim Copy, Kim Copy coming over and all. Grateful uh, you Dead, know, by the way, as well. Grateful oh, Dead, yeah. yes. Uh, the, you know, the, we, it's been it's been uh, yes, it's been a good ride, and uh, I forget how long it's been going because it has been I going know. on for a very, yeah, mm. a very very long you time. Say like, oh yeah, back in two thousand and seven. It's like what? <laughs> like Fifteen years ago now. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> old old Are you, man. G- you don't see yourself going anywhere, do you, Jerry? You're, you're going to stick with it and, and keep going? Yeah, possibly. In the same guys, I think streaming, like you said, is the way forward, right? That's where the outlet's going to be, where the convenience is. Um, still carry on with Terracotta doing third-party stuff. And this actually helps. I actually let you in on secret. It actually started off trying to get rid of my stock, right? No one wants to buy our titles, so let's grab a few of other people. Let's get some of Adams. And I went and wrote to all the labels saying, do you have any distressed stock that you need to sell and run down and I'll buy it off you for cheap and whatever in bulk. And that's how it all started. And I thought, oh, okay. They're not really still not buying my titles. <laughs> but we're, we're making an all right margin on everyone else's titles. So let's keep that going. And it's become like the place to buy Asian Blu-ray now, which is quite nice. So yeah, That's actually, maybe this is a bit of a controversial, because obviously I know we've been over an hour now, so we'll be winding down. Oh, but it might be, no, 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 not at all. I, Adam's the one that always wants it nice and short. I'm like, <laughs> let's do a three-hour podcast. It'll be fine. Um, I was just interested because Adam's had this thing at the moment, obviously all the um, all the controversy going on with um, Shion Sono at the moment. And I know that one of the directors that you released a lot of was Kim Ki-duk. And I just was intrigued what you, how that all, when all the kind of allegations came out and it all, you know, all happened, obviously he passed away last year or two years ago now, isn't it, from, from COVID. But did that just, you know, drop off a cliff all your sales or has people been intrigued by it? Or no, is it- I think... The Kinky Duck stuff still still sells really strongly because it's such a beautiful movie. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful movies he makes, cinematography is incredible. Yeah. Um, you do, uh, immediately we said we'd stop buying Kinky Duck films. But mm. then you kind of question it, like, if you're going to do that, where do you draw the line? There's a lot of dodgy dealings that we know about behind the scenes in the entertainment industry, full stop. doesn't matter if it's Korea, Japan, Hong Kong, wherever in Asia, it's just full stop everywhere. There is a lot going on. Um, and what's our job is our job to be sort of the gatekeepers of that and say this guy we shouldn't release his films and this guy we should release his films. But I did I did hesitate and, and we did say we're not going to 
buy too many more Kimki Duck films. We wanted to pursue and create a Kimki Duck um, box set, which would have been amazing, right? Think of his work mm. back then. Yeah. Um, but you just you just have to kind of draw the line when you hear the allegations and you hear the multiple sort of testimonies from the um, actresses. You just think maybe it's not savory to be dealing with this type of um, handling this type of film. In the yeah. same way that I probably couldn't watch a Polanski film anymore. Um, you know, yeah, I definitely exactly. can't watch Kevin Spacey stuff anymore, even though no. it's incredible, right? He's an incredible actor, but you just think you, you put it on, you just feel a bit repugnant immediately. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Woody Allen too. I used to yeah. really like his films. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. I just, cause I know I always see whenever I check on your site, I always see Mobius there. And that's still yeah. one of the, that's one of the few films of his I haven't seen. I think got most of them on the Titan Asian extreme DVDs. But, um, they are incredible films though, aren't they? Really? Incredible. Yeah. 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 Of course. Yeah. Awesome. How are we going to end on that note? We have, to, we have to do, come on. We got, well, look, you guys, you've known each other for 20 years or something. You must have some amazing stories. All I remember is a Stephen, Stephen Chow opened the door in Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's too many of these stories, Ben. We have to do a separate podcast. Once we think time. about it, like all this stuff just like pops out, like, oh, remember that time we just opened the door and Stephen Chow was on the other side. Yeah, or, yeah. snooker by himself. Yeah. So, oh, that, yeah, you told me that story. Is that when you pissed him off when you were like, asked him yeah, for fun? He, he was he just did. like, oh, man. He's quite a solitary figure. And um, yeah, he was playing uh, snooker by himself. Like, <laughs> what are you doing playing by yourself? And in Cantonese, like really shit Cantonese. What are you doing playing by yourself? Because uh, uh, I, I have friends coming. Don't worry. <laughs> I was trying to angle, like, do you want a game with us? We'll play with you. Um, but he said, no, my friends are coming. So, And then uh, Adam said, can I take a photo with you? Why? <laughs> Immediately, um, because I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> so yeah, it's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, we have have a lot of those sort of stories tucked away. I guess if we think about it, yeah. I remember Takeda Rina at your festival, who was practicing her her spinning kicks, and yeah. I was holding up what she was kicking, but I just broken my hand or something the week before, <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> I, like oh no, you yeah, had just broken your hand. Sorry. I had my broken hand, so it was all, but it was taped up, and I was sort of trying to hold as far away as you I had could from the broken. Yeah, <laughs> and Tak was there as well. Tak's and egging her on. Tak was Ta- there talking about Ta- how he just broke. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's another one who's uh, got all these accusations around him? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> Literally, where do you draw the line? You can go back 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Probably, if you if you have a moral compass that is like very slightly, we shouldn't do this, right? You wouldn't release any films right now, you know. Adam did say that he's like, there's very few people over a certain age within. We're, we're talking about the Japanese film industry specifically because there's very few people above a certain age that haven't <laughs> haven't done something like this that you could tie up to the. Because rafters. once once is a norm and an accepted norm. Once you break into the industry, you see how that's behavior. Both male mm. and female accept that's the pattern of behavior to get ahead. Right, mm. and so it just becomes the norm. And I think it's a great thing that it's all come out now, and people are changing their ways and perceptions, and they know it's wrong. You know? Yeah, we've gone back to it again. We need. To- <laughs> oh right. Okay, so Stephen Chow, Rina Takeda. I'm um, just hearing Adam's stories as well. Adam's full of funny stories, like how he first started. So that first meeting we had in the coffee shop, I can't remember what it was, where we were saying, "Look, man, I, d- I didn't nick your films. You know, we've got legit paperwork here." And so we're just having coffee. Um, him telling me how he bought the films. He was out in Korea. Getting, getting really drunk with the sales agents and then the sales agents passed out 
and he's quite a big, big chunky guy. I know who it is. He's a big chunky guy. And Adam had to carry him. He's like, "Where'd you live?" <laughs> Adam <laughs> couldn't make out where he lived. He had to carry him on his back back to Adam's hotel, dump him on the floor, and then just sleep there while Adam went to bed. That I was just don't, don't remember. That. I was going to say Adam's face looks oh. like he's hearing this for the first time. No, that was that was the first story you told me. I thought, oh my god, this guy's mental. <laughs> Awesome. It's not the first time that I do remember some other situations where that has happened where sales agents have invited me out to, to drinks and they've passed out and I've had to pay for it and then carry them home. But um... <laughs> you had to carry him back to your hotel because you didn't know where he lived. Ah, I sort of, now that you remember it, I sort of oh, was coming it was back to very first me. batch of deals. Yeah. I think it was uh, one of the big <laughs> Korean companies where you bulk, bulk bought a lot of films. Ah, okay, okay. Now, now I am starting to remember. Yes, yeah, uh... <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, just lots, of, lots of random stuff like that. And um, I don't know, I can't remember now. Just Were you there when Tony then walked past and started waving at Mike in Cannes? Uh, so we have this, we have the mutual friend, Mike Yuen, who also has a day job. He's like this tech guy in San Francisco, but he loves mm. films and he wrote a script, right? And for the last 10 years, he's been trying to make trying to make the film legitimately. He had Yuen Ping attached and then he had some financiers, but he couldn't get Tony Leung. He had Tony Leung and Yuen Ping, but the financiers dropped out. <laughs> they had some financiers, but Tony Leung was then doing Lust Caution and Yun Wu Ping was doing some sort of action movie in States, uh, in, in China. It was never perfect. Then one day, he, I was rooming with him in Cannes, and then the next day, he said, oh, you should have come out. I met Tony Leung. He was eating by himself, and I went and talked to him. He said, oh, so you're Mike with that script. Yeah, I really want to be in your film. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. That's fine. That's cool. I, I'll come up with <laughs> And then we were sat having breakfast in this outdoor coffee shop, and Tony Leung and his entourage walks by, and he goes, Hey Mike, and he starts waving at Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was that was such a funny. Moment. I think you were there as well, and you were cracking up. You couldn't believe what was happening. I remember that. The only thing I remember about Can is sleeping in a bed with you and you snoring all that long. Oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> about that. That was like late to subsequent Cans. You know, the early days of Can were fun. Yeah, uh, gets a bit boring after all. But yeah, amazing. Have you done much traveling like to Korea and Japan and China? In or... in the early days, yeah, before yeah. we had kids and when you're hungry looking for sort of like new films and um and then as you expand, like Adam says, you can't really, you know, keep up with everything. So send other people to work. Whereas Adam doesn't, right? He doesn't like to delegate. He he likes to yeah. do everything himself. Um we just built a team up and different people responsible for different countries went to see different films. But yeah, I miss that a lot. I think I miss Udine the most. Udine is probably one of my favourite film festivals. It's a prop that is a proper festival, Ben. If you ever get the chance, go out to Udine in right. Italy. It's an amazing festival. Yeah, I really wanted to do Nippon as well. That's another one that's high up on my list. Yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, honestly, Joey, thank you so much today for coming and doing this. Oh no, thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's been cathartic as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You seem to have a much more positive outlook on it all than Adam does. I think a lot that's of the time Adam just goes I keep like, losing oh. money. I keep, I keep losing money, and I don't realise. So that's why. Whereas Adam is like, he's wise to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people aren't following you already, and I know I said you, you're not on social media, but your your businesses and you have people there. So on Twitter, you are terracotta underscore dist, Correct. I believe. Same on Instagram as well. On Instagram as well, perfect. And yeah, it's just um, terracotta distribution.com, isn't it? Correct. Yep. Website. Perfect. Sorry, streaming and streaming and Blu-ray. Yes, yes. So you got the shop and you got the streaming service there. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to push that's coming out soon, or anything that any sales coming up or anything like that? Uh, not really. We we'll probably have an end of summer sale, and like you've mentioned before, a lot of the pre-orders that people are after, like you know, Tiger Cage, uh, the Police Story box set. 
we tend to sell those at a slightly lower pre-order price. Not not like massively huge discount, but at least yeah. it goes to, in this sort of like day and age, it goes towards something if you have a couple of quid off here and there. So yeah, check our site out. 100%. Well, I'll put all the links into the description of today's episode. Thank you. Um, and yeah, Adam, you're on, on Twitter is that Third Window and Third Window Films on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else basically, right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm at Benji Box, spelt with a Y. But yeah, this has been awesome. I can't believe, honestly, I don't know about you guys, but I'm absolutely drenched in sweat. Me too. <laughs> we are not built for these heat waves. We've only had two days of this 39 degrees. But um, I've yeah, broken so. the remote of my air conditioner as well. Uh, <laughs> is that a summertime machine joke or is it? Maybe actually... a summertime machine joke. We don't have air conditioning in the UK, as you know, right? So, yeah. so you've just finished summertime machine. Um, on blues. Sunday night, yeah. I was, I was packing orders of watching the film at the same time, yeah. It's so it's good, isn't funny. it? The whole cause and effect. Let's not have any spoilers, but yeah, it's funny. I just love the fact they go back just one day and they can mess up the space-time continuum so badly. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, genius. Okay, well, that's Bye. it for this month. So thank you so much for joining us and we will catch you next time on the Third Window Films podcast. Bye. Two flights up by the third window from the right Lights up by the third window from the right. The third window from the right. Two flights up. That's the one with the shade pulled down. That's the one where I do.